Hi, I'm Grayson Willis. Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and 11.45 a.m. in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30 p.m. Today, I want to I talk to you a little bit. As, as a father, um, I, I've got four kids. I've talked about them a lot. It's a big part of my life. And um, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, opportunities I've had to, to volunteer in my kids' school. So, uh, parents, you know you get those opportunities, and some of us... I, I know we, we have different work schedules, different availability. Some of us, we can do that. Sometimes we can't. But I remember, uh, I'm going to talk about two different kinds of volunteering. I remember the first opportunity, probably around first grade, one of my kids had an opportunity. It was something like, hey, a pumpkin patch field trip, you know, and we need chaperones. That word chaperone, that sounded pretty safe. So, so I signed up and Maybe you can realize, like, rock, paper, scissors at home, and it's like, oh, you lost. You get to go. No, no, no. I mean, I won. I get to go, right? Whatever that battle looks like. Uh, but but um, no, no in, in all kidding aside, I got the opportunity to go and, and be with my kid. And, and this is kind of a description of what it looked like. You know, so I'm a chaperone, and I'm here, and there's a couple of other parents, and we're there at the pumpkin badge. we got kind of this horde, this group of first graders, and the job description is basically this. And some of the teachers in the room can relate, you know, just keep everybody alive. You know, we want to get to the pumpkin patch, everybody get their pumpkin, everybody get home, nobody gets hurt, everybody's alive, it's a win. Some of you are nodding, because you know, that's the kind of thing, and I was like, okay, I can do this, you know, I'm just kind of standing there, and nobody ate a pumpkin, nobody hit each other with the pumpkin, everybody got one, we're good, I made it out alive. That's kind of the first example. But then there's this deeper level of commitment that I discovered uh, quite accidentally. There's a program at my kids' uh, elementary school, especially when uh, we were able to go in person more, and it encouraged uh, dads specifically to be involved. A lot of uh, our schools don't have a lot of male role models, and so while they encourage and they love having moms involved, the specific program was to get dads engaged in school. And so I would make a deal with my kids. Once or twice a year, I'd take a day off, and I'd come in, and I'd, I'd volunteer. It's thinking a little bit of that, that pumpkin patch chaperone role, you know? Like, just keep everybody alive, just smile, Maybe I'll open a pack of ketchup at lunch, you know, but I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. And uh, so lo and behold, I show up on that day. It's probably second grade now. And I, I come into the class and the teacher smiles and hands me a, a stack of papers. And I'm thinking, what in the world is this for? And then she begins to describe that we're going to break into groups and that I'm going to have my own group. At this point, I'm going to begin sweating profusely, like my own group. And you'll be teaching them. You'll be working with them on their spelling words. I got to teach them spelling, right? Then, 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 oh, and then math session. We want you to work on these math problems second grade math. I'm really sweating at this point because you see what they're talking about here, the job description is not just keep everybody alive, not just a chaperone, but I'm going to be involved. I'm going to be invested. I want to be teaching math and reading. They're entrusting me to the learning of these second grade students. I got to tell you, there's a big difference between observation and participation. A big difference. Observation is easier, right? It's safer. It's less risky. Just keep everyone alive. Get everyone out of the pumpkin patch in one piece. But participation, that's more work. I was exhausted when I got home that day. I had to lay down. I was tired. You're working. You're contributing. You're engaging. You're being stretched, and you're a little bit uncomfortable, especially when the second graders correct you on your math problem. (laughs) See, here's what happens. When you observe, you make people safer for a time, 
but when you participate, you really make people better. Think about it this way, okay? Think about if you're in a car accident, I'm not being prophetic at all, right? right? But if you're in a car accident, think about who you want in that moment. You know who you don't want? You don't want just an observer standing there on the side of the road, hey, saw that your car's banged up. That's terrible. Good luck with, you know, you know, that doesn't help. You want a participant, right? Hey, can I help? Do you need anything? Can you, that's what you want. Think, think about, you're at the beach, and the tide is sucking you out to sea, and you're drifting away. At that moment, you know what you don't want? You don't want a bunch of observers at the beach. Hey, good to see you out there. You're too far. You should come in, right? That doesn't help. You know, participate. Somebody help me, right? When it, when it comes, when it comes to our souls, when our souls hang in the balance, you want people around you who are participants, not observers. And today I want you to know when it comes to the kingdom of God, we are called to participation, not observation. We are in the final week of our series, Thy Kingdom Come. Thy Kingdom Come. This is the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. And when he taught us to pray this way, our eyes are being opened to the reality of his kingdom. What does his kingdom mean? It means his reign, his lordship, his action here in the world among us. And when we pray this, it becomes what guides us. It becomes what our alignment is in these days where we can be so confused and we can be so misaligned with so many things. The kingdom is what us as believers, it provides our alignment. It is, when we pray this way, when we lean into this prayer, it is for us a present day reality in the lives of believers. We believe his kingdom can come right now, right here in our midst. It can show up right here. It can break through. And last week we touched on this idea that what we do in the kingdom matters. It matters that if we say that we are participants, that if we are a part, if he is our king and we are part of his kingdom, what we do matters. Today, in the final week of the series, I want to conclude by, by catching a glimpse, a heavenly glimpse of what it means to not just observe, but to participate in this kingdom. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today, if you have your copy of scripture. Uh, would you tr join me there? Uh, we're just going to look at a few verses together in Acts chapter 1, and let me set it up by telling you what's happening here. Jesus uh, has come, and he came, and he lived his life, and he ministered, and he served, and he suffered and died on a cross. Why did he do that? To pay the price for sin. Because the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. The result of sin is death and destruction. But Jesus took our place. We are all sinners. We all deserve death. But he took on our sin. He took on the punishment for our sin on the cross once and for all. And then, and then he didn't stay dead. And three days later, he rose from the dead victorious. And in Acts chapter 1, the resurrected Jesus, he's walking around. He's talking to people. He's having lunch with people, right, right? For 40 days, it says he appears to his disciples and he talks to them about what? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And in verse 4 of Acts uh, chapter 1, we're going to read about a specific encounter right before he ascends back to the Father in heaven. Some of the last interaction that we have of Jesus here on this earth. It says this in verse 4 of Acts 1. Uh, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, the disciples, right? They're eating together. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, John the Baptist, right, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now this is Jesus, resurrected Jesus talking, and he's talking about being baptized with the Spirit. 
I don't, if I were them, I would like, I don't understand what that even means. But this is an incredible gift that Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be here anymore. My, my physical presence. And what, what a gift that is, right? That Jesus is the manifestation of God, God with us. That's beautiful. But, but he's saying, I'm not going to be here. But man, the gift of the Spirit, God's presence, his Spirit is going to be with you. You're going to be baptized with his Spirit. It's going to be all over you, all through you, living inside you, his Spirit, an incredible gift. And now let's continue reading verse 6. Then, in response to this, they gathered around him, and the disciples asked him, don't miss this question, I think it's important, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss what's happening here because we've been talking about in this series that to say thy kingdom come, to say, God, I want to belong to your kingdom means, means I don't want to belong to the kingdom of man. I don't want to, that to live in alignment with your kingdom means that I'm not going to live in alignment with the kingdom around me. And so there's this tension, there's, but I want you to see what's happening here. Even after Jesus has died on the cross and even after he's been raised to death and, and now for 40 days he's been interacting and, and and living and teaching them about the kingdom, I want you to see, in response to now, hey, I'm going up to heaven. Hey, I'm going to give you my spirit. Look at the first question they ask. It's about an earthly kingdom. In response to everything Jesus has done and all that he's taught them about the kingdom of heaven, what do they want to talk about again? The kingdom of man. Well, when are you going to restore your kingdom here in Israel? When are you going to overthrow the Roman government? When are we going to be in charge again, Jesus? Immediately. What do they do? They come back to this earthly kingdom. We do this all the time, don't we? Don't miss. It's easy. It's easy to throw shade at the disciples, right? It's easy to be, oh, man, when are they going to? We do this all the time. We trade the magnitude of his kingdom for our own, don't we? Don't, don't we do it all the time when, when instead of living in alignment with his kingdom and his desire and his purpose, we allow ourselves to be so distracted by so many other things happening around us? When our greatest passion and our greatest desire is not thy kingdom come, but my kingdom come, right? Don't we? We do this all the time. I think it's important to see, even in the midst of the miraculous, of the impossible, of Jesus coming back to life and appearing to them again, they're still stuck on this earthly idea of a kingdom. Let's, let's continue reading now, verse 7 and 8 together. So Jesus said to them, And it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And, and then verse 8, keep in mind, as Jesus says this in verse 8, he's responding to the question about the kingdom. He says this in verse 8, But... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and and in Judea and then Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I don't want you to miss in response to the kingdom. In response to this idea of the kingdom, Jesus calls them to be witnesses. Witnesses. And in case you read that word witnesses and think, well, that's kind of like the chaperone on the pumpkin patch field trip, right? That's just kind of be there, make sure nobody gets... No, no, no. That root word, the Greek word here, the root word is the same word for martyrs, right? This is a word of participation, not a word of observation. Not a word of, well, we'll witness the kingdom from a distance. And we'll stand off and say, oh, good job, God. You go do your thing. No, no, no. This is you will 
will be invested. You will be involved. My spirit will be in you. And understand, understand what's about to happen here in Acts 1. Because Jesus is going to go to heaven. And they are going to go into Jerusalem. And then the day of Pentecost will come. And the spirit of God is going to break loose. And the, and the church, as we know it, will be born. And the church will explode, even amidst persecution. Even amidst a, a kingdom that, around them that is so divided and destructed. The kingdom of God is going to explode. And why? Because ordinary men and ordinary women with the power and the spirit of God living in them become participants in the kingdom. Participants. A divine invitation. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go with my power, with my spirit, and you're going to go and you're going to participate in this kingdom. Witnesses of what? The king, of his kingdom, sourced by what? By, by the incredible power of the Holy Spirit for what purpose to go in, into their community. And then a little bit beyond that, and a little bit beyond that, into the ends of the earth. This is the good news for everyone. We're witnesses. We're witnesses in this kingdom. You see, passivity, passivity will kill the church, but we're not called to passivity, are we? We are called to action. We're called to action. One of the things that we talk about often here at our church, we talk about this idea of next steps, next steps, and we use that language often, and you may not even totally understand what we're saying, but why, why do we talk about that? Why do we talk about taking a next step? Because we believe, we believe in this Christian faith, in this journey, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to be, is to take steps of action, right? It's not a journey of observation, only. Yes, we observe Jesus, and yes, we observe what, but it's a journey of participation. And so why are we constantly encouraged and inviting people to take the next step? Because we constantly want to keep this idea in front of us that this is a gospel of participation. This is a kingdom of participation. And so why do we invite you to be baptized? Why, why is that participation? Because what is baptism? Baptism is us coming forward and saying, hey, hey, I belong to Jesus. He's my Savior, and he's my Lord, and I, and I want everybody to know that. I want everybody to know. So, so when I am baptized, I'm identifying with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and, and I'm participant in this thing. I'm not just sitting on the sidelines anymore. I want everybody. So, so that's, that's an action step, right? That's participation. We talk about joining a group. Some of you are like, the last thing I need is more people in my life. I can't even like the people that are in my life now. Look, look, why do we encourage you to do that? Because we believe the journey of faith is not meant to be lived alone. It's not to meant to be a journey only by yourself, that we need other people in our life. And when we're vulnerable enough, and willing enough to stretch ourselves to engage with other people. That's, that's a participatory act, right? That's not just observing the kingdom. That's, that's engaging and participating in the kingdom. Why do we talk about serving others? It's not because we just need somebody to give goldfish out to the tiny town kids, right? Because we want to invite you to participate in the kingdom. We're not called. We're not called just to this observation. We're called to participation. I, I've said it this way. I think all week as I've tried to process what this means for us as we conclude this series, the Lord's been working on my heart and I want to articulate it this way. The kingdom lives in you, so it must live through you. See, see first, we, what we say, thy kingdom come, we, we are saying, Lord, I want your kingdom to show up in my life. I want it to take root. I want you to be my king, and I want to live in alignment with your kingdom, and I, I want your kingdom in my life. But, but it doesn't just stop there, right? 
Because now we're invited to be his witnesses. We're invited to be the participants in the kingdom. And so the kingdom lives in you. And if it lives in you, it must live through you. When we pray, thy kingdom come, there is no doubt that when we pray that, we're saying, God, I want your, I want your kingdom to show up in my life today. I, I want to see your kingdom show up. God, it, with my kids, oh Lord, help my kids. You know, I, I want your kingdom to show up there in my marriage, in my job. in my. There is no doubt when we pray that prayer, we're saying, Lord, I want your kingdom to come right now in my life. But, but, but as we pray, I don't want you to miss what we're also doing. When I pray, sometimes I pray and I'm burdened and I'm overwhelmed and I've got my list and I bring to the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, oh Lord, work, work in this person's life. Lord, you got to help me with them. Lord, this person driving me nuts. Lord, what am I going to do? Lord, I'm feeling anxious and afraid and overwhelmed about this. And, and the Lord is so patient with me, you know. I don't ever get a busy signal. I don't ever get him saying, oh, this again, you know. He's so patient. But every now and then while I'm praying, every now and then while I've got my list of things that I'm praying about, every now and then I sense the Lord kind of talk back to me a little bit. You know, maybe I'm praying for a neighbor that's driving me insane, and I'm saying, oh, Lord, you got to help. Or maybe I'm praying for somebody that I work with, not, not me here at the church, you know. I'm put, maybe your context, right? Somebody's driving me crazy, and uh, maybe I'm praying for somebody that I know needs hope, and every now and then I feel like the Lord will stop me and say, Adrian, um, would you help bring hope to that person? Adrian, would you, would you be patient in that person's life? Would you show up in their life today? Like, I'm just trying to talk to, I'm trying to get God to do it all, you know? And sometimes he's inviting me to be a part of the answer to my own prayer. Now, I know for some of us that sounds like sacrilegious, right? But sometimes as we pray, the Lord invites us into the response of that prayer. Some of you know when you pray for patience, the Lord invites you to be patient. He gives you opportunities to be patient, right? He's saying, come on, we're going to do this together. And so sometimes when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're not just praying, oh, Lord, show up in my life. And oh, Lord, what, what, what we're actually doing when we pray that, the Lord invites us to be a part of the answer. He invites us to participate now in his kingdom of seeing that prayer come to fruition. Not just the kingdom in my life. But God says, yeah, come on. Come on, why don't you participate in this kingdom with me? Come on, let, let's bring a part of that kingdom into your workplace and into your home and into your marriage and into the, your social media feed. Yeah, I said that. See, I believe we're called to be a part of the fulfillment of that prayer. Thy kingdom come. A dozen times throughout the Gospels, Jesus told stories about the kingdom each and every week, we highlight one of them. We don't always take the time to read it. You can. We have a version event set up today. You can go through and read uh, the text for today. It's really good. But in Matthew 25, Jesus tells probably his most famous story about the kingdom. The Bible calls them a parable. That's a fancy word for an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus told a story that he knew everyone in the context would hear and understand the context, but he told it to tell us something deeper about the kingdom. And the story in Matthew 25 goes something like this, that there's the master, the owner, he's going away on business, and so he entrusts his servants. I don't want you to miss this point because it's really important. He entrusts his servants. He doesn't just ask them, hey, keep everybody alive, make sure nobody gets hurt, don't mess anything up. He entrusts him. To each of them, he entrusts something different. To the first, he gives out of his own resources. He gives the first five bags of gold, as the story goes. 
five bags of gold. He entrusts the next one with three bags of gold. And the final one, he entrusts with one bag of gold. And immediately we want to stop and we say, well, that's not fair, right? right? But follow the story with me because as the master leaves and he entrusts his servants with what is his, he entrusts them. Each of them goes to work, and the one with five, he goes to work, and he wants to use what he has, and he's able to multiply that. He takes the five that he has, and it becomes ten. The one with three, he uses what he's been entrusted with. He wasn't entrusted with as much as the other one, but he's not so focused on that. He's just focused on what he does have, and so he uses what he has, and the three becomes six. But the one over here that only has one, maybe he feels like he hasn't been given that much. Maybe... As the story kind of says, his fear and anxiety gets the best of him. What if I mess up? What if I squander this? What if I make a mistake? And so he takes what he has and he hides it away. He digs a hole. He buries it. So he doesn't lose it. He doesn't risk anything. But he doesn't really participate, does he? He's not really invested. He's not really involved. And so the master returns to settle score. And as you can imagine, the one who took his five and made ten, oh, he's called, what is he called? The master says, you've been faithful. The one who takes three, now he didn't have as much as the other, but he took what he had and he used it. He's called faithful. But the one who only had one and hid it away, it's called wicked and lazy. And he's thrown out. And literally the story is Jesus says he'll be thrown out into the darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. I have no idea what gnashing of teeth is, but it doesn't sound fun, does it? This is the picture of the kingdom that Jesus gives us. See, this parable seems harsh to us, doesn't it? But there's no doubt, as Jesus tells it, that there are expectations in the kingdom. That if we're going to be a part of the kingdom, then if he's our king, then there are expectations. But notice, notice, we can get a little caught up on, well, they each had a different amount. Why did he get more than, and we do that in real life, don't we? We get a little thrown off when it feels like, it feels like, well, you've got more than I do. You've got more gifts, and you've got more skills, and you've got more to work with, and you've got, we can get a little bit focused sometimes on what we don't have, can't we? I'm not even talking just about resources. I'm talking about gifts and skills and abilities and a platform and influence, right? We can get real caught up that you've got more than me. And we can, sometimes we can get so focused on that, we can be a little bit like the servant over here who feels like we don't have that much. But the question in the story is not how much you've been given, but what did you do with what you've been entrusted with? And when the master returns, that's his deepest concern. Not, oh, why did you get more and why did you get less? But what did you do with what you've been entrusted with? That should tell us something about the kingdom, shouldn't it? That in this kingdom, there are expectations. And the expectation is what did you do with what you've been given? How were you a participant in my kingdom? Not an observer, but a participant. I want to close with a story of one of my friends. His picture's here on the screen. And uh, I don't have headshots of all my friends, but I have uh, of Renee because he works on staff here. So I, I just pulled this from the So Some of you are like, that's kind of creepy. But, but this is my friend Renee. And some of you know him if you've been a part of our church for a long time. Uh, and if you don't, I, I want to introduce you because this is my friend. And he uh, and his lovely bride, uh, Elimara, attend our Esperanza Viva campus, which is happening in this room here in just a few minutes. They're a faithful part, have been a faithful part of this church for a long time. Uh, I, I tell this story, I, I often call Renee my brother or er, hermano, you know, I'll say that. And one time I was walking through the lobby and I said that. One of my kids was with me, they're real young. And they got real quiet when I got out to the car and they're like, Dad? 
is he really your brother? You know, they were a little concerned why I hadn't invited him to Christmas or something. I said, oh, no, no, no. But we're part, why did I say that? We're part of the kingdom. And because of that, man, he's my brother. <laughs> we're brothers, right? And so uh, Renee has become a great friend of mine. But today I want to share a little bit of his story with you as we talk a little bit about what it means that the kingdom doesn't just live in us, but it lives through us. You see, uh, Renee's story, he grew up in Puerto Rico. And he, his life was not always easy. At the age of about 15, he had seasons of his life where he would live on and off the street. He didn't always know where his next meal was going to be. He didn't always, he, he had some good jobs and some good opportunities, but then things fell through and he'd be back on the street again. So, so from starting at age 15, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of doubt, a lot of not always knowing if he was going to have what he needed. It was a struggle. Well, fast forward today, uh, God has transformed Renee's life. <laughs> He's transformed his life. When you talk to him, he talks about God's blessing in his life. Not just, not just a physical blessing, but, but so much more spiritual blessing. He's experiencing, he's experiencing the kingdom in his life. When you talk, when you interact, you understand that he's different because of what God has done. God has brought him joy in his life, even when it's, it's not easy. And today, there's some things in his life that aren't easy, but, but he has joy. But there's something else, and this is the reason I tell you Renee's story. Renee has an incredible heart for other people. See, so you might think, I would tend to think this, that if you grew up in the context where Renee did and struggled with some of the things that he did, that you would hold more tightly to the things that you had, right? That you would grab tighter and, and almost hoard the things that you had because you remember what it was like to not have those things, but that's not how Renee lives. He has this incredible heart for others. And it would be really easy for Renee to focus on the things he doesn't have. Maybe compared to some of you, there's resources he doesn't have. There's things that you have that he doesn't. It'd be really easy for him to focus on all the things he doesn't have. But there's one incredible thing that he has been given. And that's an incredible gift of cooking. Now, let me tell you, this man can do something to a pork chop that tastes like thy kingdom come in my belly. I'm here to tell you, I experience the kingdom when this guy cooks because I'm just telling you, he's got a gift and a passion, and some of you can amen because you've gotten blessed. But look, it's not just something he likes to do, it's a passion. And let me tell you something that will often happen with him on his day off on a Friday. He might be going through town, he might be running errands, but then he passes somebody on the corner, somebody who, who, who has some needs. And you and I might pass them too, and we might be kind of busy, or we might kind of be judgy, or we might give a dollar or something, but Renee does something totally different. He looks, and he feels compelled, and next thing you know, he's, he's at the kitchen, and he's whipping up, not like peanut butter and jelly, like roasted chicken and vegetables and good stuff, and he brings to several people on the corner a, a home-cooked, warm meal, and he looks them in the eye, and he lets them know Jesus loves you. And in that moment, they feel loved. They feel loved by Jesus because they're also being fed, right? In that moment, he, he lets them know, and he prays for them. He ministers to them, not because we had a program set up at church together, and that's good, I like that, but just because he's using what God's given them. And he's saying, I've experienced the kingdom, but now I want other people to experience the kingdom of God. I want other people that are broken or hungry or afraid or anxious to know the hope I have in him. So that's what Renee does all the time. All the time. You see, Renee understands he's been commissioned to see the kingdom come in his life. But now, to see the kingdom come through his life into others. How does he do it? He doesn't really focus on what he doesn't have. He just says, what has God entrusted to me? What do I have? 
And how can I use that to see his kingdom come? Today, church, I want to invite you, like, like never before in history, there's never been a time where we've needed the church more to be participants in the kingdom. Not sitting by, not passive, not just observing, not just making the kingdom. It's a personal thing. I'm glad for that. But hearing the call, answering the call to be his witnesses. The Apostle Paul said his ambassadors. The church in the New Testament, it's called the ecclesia. And what does that word mean in the Greek? It means the called out ones that we are a part of a kingdom that involves our participation. When the master returns in your life, as Jesus told that story of the king, will he look at your life and say, wow, I entrusted you with this. But you were anxious and you were afraid and you hid what you had. You worried too much about what you didn't have. You worried too much about what other people had and what you didn't. You didn't really do anything with what I'd entrusted you. Or, or, will he come back and say, man, you've been faithful. You used what you had. And you were a participant. You joined me in my work. You prayed, thy kingdom come. And you let that be a present tense reality. But then you let it orient your life. And every, every action and every decision was to see my kingdom become a reality. To be my witness. So today, church, let's be participants in the kingdom. God, today, um, you're a God of hope. You're a God of hope that today you're, you're not a God of condemnation. Today, some of us, we may feel convicted. You may be showing us some places in our life where we've been a little too on the sidelines. We've been a little too comfortable. We've been a little bit like me on that pumpkin patch field trip, just standing off to the sidelines. And, and today, you want to invite us to be participants in your kingdom. That you're entrusting us, God. You're entrusting us, commissioning us, empowering us. So today, I pray that would inspire us. I pray that would open our eyes. I pray that that would bring great hope to us that you must, you must, it's not just that we believe in you, you believe in us to bring your kingdom into a world that desperately needs it. Lord, the church in these days, we cannot be passive. We must be the church in action. So lead us and guide us through the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.